For November 21st, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 751, A Turducken of Jack-in-the-Boxes. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I am Pete Fenzel. Matt Rather is off doing great life-changing things. He's had a really exciting month, and we're really happy for him and jazzed for him. He's going to have a new home. Uh, he's got a new, a new, a new spouse, and and a new uh, building a new life, and all sorts of exciting things are happening. And as a result, he is not on the podcast tonight, which of course is a bummer. But we soldier on. And uh, with me, of course, in this uh, line of red coats as we march toward the. Uh, <laughs> the rebels lurking in the hills <laughs> is uh, the illustrious and scholarly and excellent Matt Belinky. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, how are you? How are you enjoying the the sad coverage of the 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 guilt stricken World Cup so far? Oh, the um, I had heard I'd read something about Cristiano Ronaldo saying he didn't like his coach. But I don't think that was the World Cup. I think it was just Manchester United. Has the World Cup started, Matt? It feels like it's going to be like 80% stories about like how unfortunate and, and awkward this World Cup is for everyone and 20% actual coverage of the World Cup itself. Gotcha. Sort of like a uh, middle school dance where the dancing is like fifth or sixth on everybody's list of things to do. Also like, also, like a, hey, also like a middle school dance. No alcohol. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> fair enough. Points. <laughs> yeah, they ban beer. They ban beer at the World Cup. That's what we're referring to. And hopefully middle school dances have been beer free um, for as long as there have been middle school dances. Certainly as far as we're aware. Yep. Uh, and that's Mark Lee. Mark, uh, th- of course, thank you for being on, as you so often are. Really appreciate it. Are you uh, have you been keeping up with the World Cup? Um, uh, the, the, the beer narrative for sure. Yes. And, uh, and all the other attendant, um, uh, con- controversies. Yeah. It sounds like a, sounds like a bad time, bad vibes all about. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I assume that the United States wasn't in it because I hadn't heard a thing about the United States competing in the world cup uh, the United States is in the world cup and we'll be playing a world cup game in like less than 24 hours from the time we're recording this. Amazing. But, yeah. It's, it's kind of, you know, it, I feel like every time there's a World Cup, there's these predictions that, like, certainly in the future, certainly like 10 years from now, soccer will be as big in the United States as it is elsewhere in the world. And instead, it's pickleball. (laughs) (laughs) Like, pickleball has like 100 times the heat that soccer does. Yep, and it's pickleball premiered. The pickleball Stephen Colbert show premiered on CBS, not CNBC. Uh, on TV, on a television station earlier this week, I believe. Uh, I'll follow it up with two moments from real life that are related to what Matt and Mark were just talking about. And of course, Rather would be so proud. We are not really talking about what the topic of our show is quite yet. We will get to it, although it'll be a bit of a potpourri episode. Uh, but first, I did buy new shoes at a sporting goods store this past Ooh, week. I had nice. not gone to a sporting goods store to buy shoes in years. I had been ordering shoes through the mail, which had led to several foot injuries. And so I have now <laughs> gone back to a sporting goods store to buy shoes again. And they had a whole wall of pickleball stuff. Just dozens and dozens of, of pickleball rackets, paddles. I guess they're – are they paddles or rackets? I think they're I don't paddles. Know. They're paddles. Let's go paddles. Excellent. And the balls and all of the accessory and accoutrement that you need for the pickleball. Uh, and it's uh, – I mean, I mean, dude, is this something we should play? Is it – Yes. Is, okay. Yeah, unironically and unequivocally, yes. It's a lot of fun and very accessible. Oh, pickleball is great. 
It's it's just for people who think that tennis is too big, but uh, ping pong is too small. Exactly. Yes. Okay. You hit the nail on the head. We are truly overthinking things today by coming up with the best. Uh, <laughs> and then the other thing is that today I was at a child's third birthday party at a Ooh. fire at a firefighting museum, and uh, witnessed one of the hosts therein who was. Uh, you can imagine the kind of person who'd be very enthusiastic about having a three-year-old's party at a firefighting museum. So stand up, folk. Uh, and talking to someone who was in from the UK, married to somebody from France, and uh, they were talking about the World Cup. And um, and uh, I believe the I believe that England and the US and Wales and Iran are all in the same group. Uh, I believe this is what they had said. This is my main source for this is a three year old's birthday party at the uh, firefighting museum. <laughs> but um, but the American uh, expressed a sort of solidarity with the uh, with the English woman uh, claiming that, of course, while he fully expected the U.S. to lose the match against England, that then U.S. and England could probably both make it out of the group stage. Right. And the English person uh, just barely managed to hold back overtly claiming that the suggestion that the U.S. soccer team is better than Wales was absurd on its face uh, and just like, yeah, probably, but you never know, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Um, and I, I, uh, Honestly, I feel like every year I have this conversation, I always forget. So Wales is gets its own soccer team in the World Cup because Wales is an independent nation? Wales is a nation, yes. It's a home nation, but it's not a – it's not a um, – I don't want to say it's not a country. It's not a state, <laughs> I suppose. I think before, Is there, there's like a president of Wales or a prime minister of Wales. It's a whale. Actually, there's just there's the whale. <laughs> the whale of Wales is the largest, the largest person in Wales who rules. Br- by Brent, Brendan Fraser. Brendan yes, Fraser yes, is the Fraser sovereign is the of Wales. The, the whale of Wales. All right. We should we should move on before we've made this show entirely too stupid. Matt is going to be so mad at us for bringing down the level of discourse drink <laughs> that we have here today. But of course, the reason that and I will say before we move on, I will say uh uh, as introducing the concept for the show, the, the what are we going to talk about today? Thanksgiving's coming up. Thanksgiving is next week. American Thanksgiving, which is of course right. a, a holiday invented to attempt to patch the wounds of the Civil War, which is retroactively applied to an event uh, 200 years earlier, so that that we all kind of feel awkward and bad about now. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, Thanksgiving. <laughs> I mean, here in Massachusetts, it's an old holiday, right? Because it, and of course, back in 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 uh, in the UK and England, as it was an old holiday, it goes back to the 1300s and whatnot. But uh, but of course, you know, the sort of national phenomenon of Turkey Day uh, it leaves people fraught with considerations of history. Well, we will not broker any of that today. We'll instead talk a little bit, looking back at the past year of what in the culture we are thankful for. And I think it's a chance for us to talk about a few things that may not carry a whole episode, but which will be of interest, I believe, in which you're welcome to come to our Discord and chat with us about and chat with the other Discord members who are themselves enthusiastic, smart folks, and we can have some great, great conversations. So before we move on, I will say in his absence, that I am thankful for Matt Rather. I am very thankful for the work he puts in on this podcast, for the post-production he does every week. Even though he can't make it this week because he's moving out, he's going to be doing post-production on our podcast, and very much appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, just just sort of holding this all together for all these years. And I know a lot of us have put in work, you know, a lot of work over the years and, and have really shown up, and I don't want to 
trivialize it. But I just do want to take a moment to appreciate Matt because he's not here and it would be awkward if I did to his face. Um, but uh, but he'll hopefully listen to this and understand that that we appreciate his commitment, his professionalism and his passion for uh, for bringing us all together, you know, and, and not just us. But I think he really truly believes in in bringing together people who find each other online, you know, from distant places in in a sort of kinder and more empathetic and human way of relating to each other. I think that mm. he has the soul of an IRC channel. And uh, if I got that right, and and he he wants this little uh, this little flower of Usenet spirit to continue blooming in this little corner of the internet, and and we love him for it. Um, and of course, he also is uh, would have some sort of great sardonic rejoinder to end this one. So, um, you guys want My to pitch in anything on that, or I think we should we should just move along, move along a little. Just th- just a thing, thing. Thanks again, Matt. Not you, Belinky. Rather, Belinky, you're just a drain on the. You're just you're just a drain. You're a drain of the whole. Belinky is a net positive. Belinky's awesome, and you're awesome too, Mark. You're both awesome. I love Belinky. Is I wish Weekly could be on the show more often. I know he has lots of obligations as a parent, and of course, you know that night thing we don't talk about where you fight crime. Uh, we don't talk. Shoot, I ruined it. Do I have to start the show over now because we talked about your secret identity? (laughs) Matt man. (laughs) Matt man. (laughs) Um, Matt man. But yeah, we'll just, no. we'll just edit this part out, right? We'll just edit this part out. Just make a mental note to edit out the part where we talk about Matt Blinky. Yes. Let's make some. Let's make some more work for Matt Rather, who exactly. does the post-production. Yeah, like, splice up the audio very carefully, like so as so not to many other things. Matt will bail us out, bailing mm. us out of our twenties, our thirties, and our forties in this respect. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, moving on to what. We are thankful for in the pop culture, and I feel it's only fair that we do it in alphabetical order by last name. Matt, Matt, what are you thankful for this, you know, you know, year of our common era, uh, 2000 and the 22nd? Uh, Yeah, just a brief aside. I'm I'm thankful for coming early in the alphabet because I feel like I benefited often throughout my life of getting to go first or close to first in various things. Uh, because I can steal all the good answers before anyone else. So I, I know you guys uh, enjoy this as well, but I'm the one who gets to say it. Uh, the thing that the the breath of fresh air that brought me the most delight in pop culture this year, everything, everywhere, all at once. Mm-hmm. The, uh, yes. I don't even know how to describe it. it is a, a hilarious comedy, a tear jerking and heartwarming drama. Uh, it was an amazing kung fu film. It was a mind-bending science fiction and fantasy film. Uh, it had it, it was great. It was really, really tremendous. And it was one of those movies that I think we we should be thankful for because there are so many reasons it probably should not exist. It, it was uh, written and directed by uh, Daniels, which is uh, two dudes named Daniel who had not. Uh, been able to, you know, obviously they have many, many ideas, but, you know, they, they had not been able to get funding for a movie together uh, since uh, 2016 when they directed Swiss Army Man, which is similarly a sort of genre bending, very imaginative, uh, you know, flight of fantasy. And uh, this is a movie that they had been working on since I believe 2010 that they sort of like uh, started playing around with the screenplay and figuring out how to make it work. 
they were thinking about it for Jackie Chan, and then uh, you know it was reworked many times over the years. They finally got uh, principal photography going, and uh, Wikipedia says from January to March 2020, so just under the wire, right before COVID would have like shut this down and probably never would have gotten started back up, considering sort of what a shoestring budget, relatively shoestring budget this was. Um, the, I mean, so many, so many minor miracles here. Uh, I, I'm going to sort of call out the soundtrack in particular, which was, you know, a, as it was a sort of a multiverse movie, the soundtrack needed to be a real chameleon effort. And so that like, it, it includes contributions from David Byrne, Andre 3000 and Randy Newman, who, wow, I, I, Oh, how did I know that? Wow. I don't know if, if the, the Randy Newman song actually appears in the film, but it is on the soundtrack that he does a Pixar style uh, song, you know, and he is the guy who wrote a lot of the Pixar songs, including like the Toy Story theme. Uh, he wrote a Pixar style song for the the uh, raccoon under the Benihana's hat of reality. Um <laughs> Where I, I'm trying to remember the lyrics, but it's it's all these lyrics about like you know the 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 unlikely friendship between the raccoon and the uh, the the uh, the chef, um, and it, I mean this movie was one. Of, here's the thing: so a lot of the even the really good pop culture this year that I enjoyed, I'm thinking about like uh, I'm thinking about She-Hulk. I'm thinking about you know certainly parts of the Obi Wan series and the the new Andor series. They, it kind of feels that like they're playing. We we sort of know how they're going to go. We feel like we understand the parameters. Sometimes like like in the case of She Hulk, we are pleasantly surprised when they color outside the lines a little bit, right? But they're not going to color outside the lines too much. Right. It's not going to go any Marvel project, any superhero project is not going to go hog wild. And in fact, I think a lot of the pop culture disappointments, not just this year, but but in many recent years are movies that like we really hoped were going to do something new and bold and fresh. And honestly, I saw like a lot of people online that were, you know, really crossing their fingers for Black Adam in particular because they're fans of The Rock and they're fans of DC. And it seems like DC in the wake of uh, what I would say is another one of these breaths of fresh air, um, like Peacemaker, the James Gunn sort of efforts, uh, Peacemaker and a uh, reboot of the Suicide Squad were kind of like, you know, something completely different, a new tone. And it sort of felt like all bets were off. And then um, it just felt like Black Adam played it very safe and sort of did exactly what you expect it to do. And, you know, for, for a movie that was sort of like, build itself as, uh, uh, you know, this guy's not a typical good guy. He's a bad guy. And, like, who knows what he's going to do? You know, eventually it, it sort of, like, uh, regressed to the mean. And it's like, well, he's not really a bad guy. He's The Rock. So what what, what do you really expect? Um, but this was a movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once. I don't want to give away too much for those of you who haven't seen it. But it is a movie where you really feel like anything could happen. And the directors or the writers and all the actors are just – just reveling in the possibilities of just like going nuts and just, you know, uh, zany costumes and, um, oh man, I, I don't want, I don't want to give away like all the, all the best moments, but it is the kind of thing where it's, it's you get to a certain point and you, the, the movie just keeps one upping itself. I'm thinking about the scene. Oh man, there's so many scenes that you can do, you know, the, the hot dog figures has been, you know, 
uh, sort of permeated the larger culture, right? That like people were sort of doing hot dog figure things for, I don't know if, if they did it for the Met Gala, but like certainly it was like a Halloween uh, uh, meme that you could that you could pull off. But that's one of those things where like the first time it pops up in the movie, it seems like a funny visual gag about being like, uh oh, you've gone a little too far. Uh, you know, you you you're not in Kansas anymore. Now you're in the hot dog universe. But then they they come back to that a few times and actually managed to flesh out the hot dog universe and actually managed to create these moments. So to speak, yes. Of, of yeah, of of beauty and and grace and Jamie Lee Curtis doing career best work with the hot dog figures. Um and 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 crafted into this kind of like lovely metaphor for like, you know, how people adapt and how people sort of like, you know, find a way to, you know, even these sort of like dehumanizing, um, you, you know, the, 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 the things that sort of like make us, make us comical and rob us of our dignity about how we can sort of rise above them and own them. And I don't know, it, 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 it was one of these movies that like feels like it, it surprised you. And then it reset and then it went back and resurprised you by like, you know, the, would, would open up the Jack in the box again. And there's like a smaller Jack in the, it was like a, like a turducken of Jack in the boxes, <laughs> <laughs> which is maybe, maybe I'll leave it there with that, <laughs> that beautiful metaphor. I feel like Daniels would approve of that. It's also on, on theme for Thanksgiving as well, too. Very well yeah, said. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I, I have thoughts. Pete, I can't remember. So Matt Blinky, you and I, we recorded a whole podcast uh, on this movie. Um, we should, we'll include a link to it in the show notes uh, in case you missed it. Um, Pete, I don't remember. Did you ever get around to seeing this movie or not? I have not seen. I am so oh, behind. Man. Right. I'm oh. glad. I'm glad that I didn't say more about it than that. But you, you got to you got to this movie will not disappoint you. I don't think I will have seen any of the things that you guys will be talking about in this episode. Uh, it's just I just fallen far behind. I, I, I mean, I guess one one of them is just uh, you get close to having a baby and I don't feel comfortable going to the movie theater anymore because I didn't want to catch COVID in time to not be allowed to be there for the birth of my kid. And then you have a newborn baby and you can't go to the movie theater anymore because <laughs> you have two kids and I can't go gallivanting out and like, uh, go watch. I'd love to watch. Yeah. I'd love to have seen it, black Adam 40% rotten tomatoes. That's like right up my alley. Get <laughs> and a diet Coke. 40 to 60% is actually a nice sweet spot for right. Like lower than 40%, you probably yeah. could pass it up. But like that, that's where the Venom movies are, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Venom movies might be a little lower, but that's where they are. Yeah, in they my might heart. be a little lower. So yeah, <laughs> so, yeah so, so on that, Pete, like, you know, of course it's available for, you know, for streaming for digital rental. Oh, yeah, where is now it? On right you can, now? You can, um, it's got to be available somewhere. It's, it's, I'm going to look you know, it up while you're talking. You you can enjoy it from the from the comfort of your home, and again, I can absolutely recommend that you should do so. Um, but that being said, like um, the going thinking back to the theatrical experience of of being able to kind of just like sit in the dark and absorb yourself in this absolutely insane world uninterrupted for two plus hours. Um, Blinky, tell me if you feel otherwise, but like this is kind of like cinema at its best, right? That kind of that cinematic experience. Right. It's, yeah, uh, you know, you, it, I, I it really like, transports you to different, a different world, not just a different world, but many, many different worlds. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, the, I quite enjoyed Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but it, it had the grave misfortune to come out right on the heels of this movie, which really takes the multiverse concept 
and and rings you know goes so much deeper into the the joyful possibilities of like okay if you could sh- if if there's a universe where everything happens what can we possibly show and and then they they show dozens of possibilities and really you know explore really just have fun with it in a way that like, I feel like the Dr. Strange movie, even though there was a lot to enjoy in that movie, you only really saw a couple multiverses of madness. Like the, the universe that they very briefly jumped through where they're just paint. Uh, they don't hang out in that universe, but without, mm. without giving mm-hmm. too much away that everything everywhere, all at once goes to the pain universe and, and, and spend some time there. Well, it looks like the place to see it is to rent it, which I can totally do because I don't go out that much. So throwing, you know, throwing a few bucks here and there to watch a couple of movies ain't a big expenditure. So, yeah, I will. Uh, I think I'll check. I, I got to actually prioritize it. I mean, I'm it's still I'm grinding through Andor so slowly. But uh, but, you know, and I want to finish yeah. that up, too. But that's a that's a that's an us show. That's a me and my wife together show. So this I could watch one. It's when it's just me. Yeah. Which would be a Although bit. I do. I do want to put in maybe a vote for for this being actually a great date movie, because Ooh. it is one of I think one of the major themes of it is sort of like relationships mm-hmm. and and, you know, I was going to say, like, what is love? But that instantly just triggers the song. For me. <laughs> so, like, I don't want to. But it's just sort of like what what does. You know, what do you need out of a relationship to be happy? And mm-hmm. like, you know, what do you get out of a relationship even when you're not happy? There's a, there's a lot in there. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think many also many times in this podcast, we have complained a lot about how um, various challenges and antagonists are defeated uh, by the pure power of love. Um, yes. And we kind of roll our eyes at it and it's often done very poorly. Um, this movie, that is literally what happens. Is that they save the universe through the power of love, and it, and it's glorious. It's a curious thing. It's glorious. <laughs> well, that's great. Now I, I don't feel like that's a spoiler because it's so nope. probabilistically likely to be the ending of any <laughs> given movie, right? Uh, <laughs> well, that's great. It is fun. I will say it is fun since we've been recording this podcast and releasing a new episode pretty much without fail for like what like thirteen, fourteen years now. Craziness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it is fun to see the things that rise in our estimation over time and the things that fall in our estimation over time versus the things that stay the same or just sort of fade off. And I feel like everything everywhere all the time, which is what I keep calling it, everything (laughs) everywhere all at once is going to keep rising in our estimation as we keep recording it. And I wouldn't be surprised if we end up talking about it again after everybody's seen it in the world uh, due to a draconian but – utilitarian the positive mandate coming down from the new world order government that we all need to watch this movie uh <laughs> i don't know to, to, to take it aside here let's talk about just a hot second about movies that have declined in stock over the years since we first okay. talked about them the dark knight rises i went back and listened to oh. that episode because did we, we all did we like it at first with the, our, well i'll tell you about Belinky. our overall consensus was hey that was pretty good and interesting y- you matt Belinky, were like this was not a good movie. <laughs> it's had oh, a lot good. of I'm proud of myself. <laughs> and kind of everyone else over over the years has come around up come around more or less in that position. The movie's kind of good, kind of a mess. <laughs> Interesting at times, but a mess. Yeah, this makes me want to go back and check out more of those. Like what other movies do, is Mary Poppins Returns now like a big hit? Everybody loves it now. I think no, we were a little no, ambivalent no, on it. No, 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 no. <laughs> if you had the money, if you had the hundred to one bet that that movie would ever come up on the podcast again, <laughs> you can get your money now. You can pick it up. Uh, oh, I, I it, it, actually, on, on one of these kind of, you know, end of the year 
sort of uh, you know retrospective type episodes. Like I called out Mary Poppins Returns. It's the worst movie I saw in, in, that, in that year. Oh yeah, that's right. It's now come up in three episodes. <laughs> I really and I always did. bring it up yeah, when it's so I, bad. Yeah. I want to bring it up when people talk about like whenever you're talking about Lin-Manuel Miranda and you want to make a joke about the thing that you're not talking about, like toss in Mary Poppins Returns, right? Because it's like we're not you're probably talking about Hamilton or any of the other classic movies he's been involved in, like Moana or Encanto. Right. Maybe you're talking about the movie we talked about last week. Weird. The Al Yankovic story where he appears. But no. Well, yeah, he has a cameo. He's the surgeon from Like a Surgeon. Uh, He's the inspiration for the song (laughs) Like a Surgeon. (laughs) He takes the surgeon, takes his mask off, and it's Lin Manuel Miranda. Uh, that's that's it. That's the joke. <laughs> it, it was. Listen to the podcast episode from last week. We go into all of this in great detail. We are overthinking it after all. Mark, what are you thankful for this year? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to uh, amend uh, what I had uh, previously uh, append, not amend, append um, what I had uh, shared earlier. Um, to you uh, as we prepared for this is what uh, the piece of pop culture I'm thankful for because um, it is Bluey and we'll talk about Bluey more but um, uh, you know you mentioned Lin-Manuel Miranda and you talked about you mentioned Encanto as well we never really did a full Encanto episode on this podcast and it took me many many months after Encanto came out and kind of you know took the world by storm until I finally got around to see that um, and yeah it's delightful it's freaking great um, and uh, we don't talk about Bruno although it is absolutely played to death um, you know, the, the the more I hear it, the more little interesting details I notice in the song. In particular, the aforementioned Lynn Menmel Miranda's rhymes, which are just like uh, kind of delightful treats um, that that your ear and brain enjoy every time they come up. Um, so there's that and Bluey, right, are kind of my combination things that I'm thankful for, which is like family entertainment or entertainment that like resonates tremendously, both with um pretty young children mine are about to be two and four and also adults it is like a very very rare thing um that it can kind of hit uh at those uh, things that can hit at those levels at the same time and like you know we talked a lot about pixar movies and you know the kind of the best of the best of, of disney and how they hit in, in the multiple levels um something like uh inside out i feel like my four-year-old wouldn't really understand but he totally gets he totally gets encanto he knows what's going on there, and my and my two year old. This is a lot here. Um, my uh, uh, just just uh, nascently verbal two year old, like you know, will say Bruno, no, 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 and request that song over and over again, which is kind of amazing. Um, so let's talk more about Encanto. Uh, yes, we do uh, talk about Encanto uh, finally. Um, but l- let's let's run out Bluey here. I want to kind of put my Bluey cards on the table here because. Um, a few months ago, we did a podcast, special podcast episode devoted to music in children's television. We talked about Paw Patrol. We talked about Spider-Man. We talked about um, uh, everything that you would expect. There was a bluey-sized hole in that discussion. And we talked about it. It came up in the Discord several times. And I, I tried to paper over it a little bit. It's like, like bluey's different. It's doing something different. And and like I will stand by that. And then the music department, which I'll get to later. But like if, if you're not familiar with Bluey because you don't have small children, um, I would recommend that even if you are a grown-ass adult um, and just want to watch a something that's short uh, and entertaining um, and on Disney+. Plus, um, Because each episode is seven minutes. It's a universe of talking dogs that inhabit... Uh, Brisbane, Australia, that for all intents and purposes is exactly same as um, as real life Brisbane, Australia. Um, it's a family. It's a it's a mom. It's a dad. It's uh, it's two daughters and their ages are about like seven and five. 
Um, and it is about a lot of things. It's, I'd say it's probably about a couple of things. One, it is about um, the joy of children and freeform play um, and kind of how their imaginations go wild. Um, and then it's also very much about parenting and um, uh, finding joy in those moments where your children are allowed to uh, play, be innocent, um, exercise their imaginations, um, but also acknowledging how freaking exhausting and, and kind of uh, um, uh, thankless it can also be at times. Yeah, uh, I remember reading an interview with the creator of Bluey, and he was saying one of the major reasons he wanted to make the show is that parenting in other children's entertainment always looks so effortless, and the parents always just seem like they're just full of energy and full of joy. And he just wanted to do something that shows that like parenting while it, while it is a pleasure and it does have these moments of real joy. It can also be like a slog. It can yep. also be exhausting. Um, and it, or, it right, maybe you have a better example is how they're non-existent, like in Paw Patrol, right? Where right. are writers, parents, the <laughs> internet demands an answer. Uh, so, I mean, for those of you who haven't seen Bluey, Mark, do you want to give a, a brief synopsis of like a favorite episode? Episodes are very short and tend to sort of like, you know, have a have a little vignette in there. Um, let's see here. A, a good one is oh, there's so many of them. Uh, the, the one that's like really good visually is uh, it's it's primarily this one's primarily centered around the kids and, and their imagination, the game they play, which is like a variant of uh, the floor is lava, but they're like they're in a field um, and uh, their game that they invent for themselves, they need to stay in the shadows. They can't, um, you know, um, uh, go out and, and step into direct sunlight. And they're presented with a conundrum, which is that the parents have uh, got cupcakes for them, and they all need to kind of work their way from point A to point B. And at some point, um, they get frustrated with the game. They decide it's impossible. They can't get to the cupcakes. And, um, you know, one of the kids suggests that, you know, why don't we just stop playing the game for a little bit? Um, but they persevere, they stick through and kind of like in, um, in wonderfully evocative visual storytelling, like, you know, a, a, a shadow fortuitously, um, comes in, uh, into view and allows the kids to cross and, and, and achieve their goal. Um, it, it, that might not sound like a lot, um, but you'll just have to take my word for it. That's all really, really well done. Um, and, and kind of going back to the, the, the kind of the, all where it's an, enjoyable for multiple audiences here, right? Like, Everything is uh, it's it's not annoying. Sounds like damning with faint praise, um, but it lacks none of the grating qualities of a typical children's television, which is like kind of you know uh, lowest common denominator sorts of things, and also the kind of like chintzy computer animation. The, the Bluey lacks both of them, and and like visually, so this is this is an important piece of this here, right? Like. It's I don't know it's it's like two two D animation um, and uh, visual composition. Uh, it, it seems like at the kind of the forefront of practically like you know uh, every scene, every, every frame that you come across, and it's like it is so very soothing to for all the senses <laughs> to take in. And the kind of the last piece on this, and then I'll toss it to you, Blinky, for some further thoughts. Is that like this year? not just this year, but last year and this year when, when our family discovered the show, like so many others, right, was uh, under various conditions of COVID restrictions, kids being sick or kids just generally stuck at home. Um, and like a lot of parents, I found myself uh, so, uh, allowing way, way more screen time for my kids than I ever thought I would uh, when, when I first set out on, on this whole parenting thing. And um, 
letting the kids, you know, kind of binge <laughs> like a dozen episodes of Bluey, uh, it, you know, it, it lacks the guilt uh, that I that I have when I let them watch uh, the equivalent amount of of Paw Patrol, for sure. Um, so yeah, I'm very thankful for Bluey, but everything for Encanto as well too. So I'll turn it over to the two of you for any thoughts on on either of those pieces of pop culture. I mean, the first I mean, thing that comes to mind for me, go, you can, I'll, I'll let you go, Matt, in just a second, but I will say, I'm astounded to get, see, hear so much praise for a show that's only seven minutes long. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's part of the real appeal there. Is it not just that, like, you know, yeah, you're not um, committing to a time sink of, like, you know, whatever, 20, 30 minutes, like, like you would with, uh, with most television shows, um, but the crispness, efficiency, and effectiveness of the storytelling is really, it, and the writing are really quite remarkable. The, the episode of Bluey that I think it's one of the first ones I watched, and it, it's always the one I tell people who've never seen Bluey to see, is the the takeaway episode. Mm, yeah, that's a good. One. Um, which is like you know, it's it's got this. Uh, it's just one location. It's just uh, the dad and the two kids go to pick up some Chinese takeaway, and it's they need to wait five minutes for the for the spring rolls to get finished. So they just need to sit in front of the restaurant and wait five minutes, and so it's. You know, it, it it's this great sort of like escalation where like it starts out where there's just like nothing for them to do. So the kids sort of make up a game and they're just like playing with the menus and they're just like looking at bugs on the sidewalk. And then, of course, things escalate. And and of course, it ends up with like all the food is destroyed. And the dad is just lying on the ground, just like covered in the remains of the takeaway, just sort of moaning. Because <laughs> um, I think I think it starts where like he he calls the mom on the cell phone, and she she's just sort of like just leave the spring rolls, come home and meet, just take the food home. Like you don't want to have to like uh, keep them entertained for five minutes. And it's sort of like it's one of these like it's five minutes. What could go wrong? And of course, everything goes wrong. And it turns out to be a huge mistake. This is one of the one of the tropes that the show does completely play it to is that. Like the mom is always right, and the dad always tends to be like <laughs> too blithely confident of his own parenting abilities, and like doesn't doesn't anticipate like what's clearly going to be a, a parenting disaster. Um, and it's it is like one of these things where it's sort of like um, all the all the little details are very much appreciated. It's like you know, like in the takeaway thing, I think somebody somebody like drops. Somebody like drops something on the ground, and the dad sort of mentions like they should pick it up and throw it out, and they don't. And then like five minutes later, at the very end of the episode, somebody steps on it and slips, like when you least expect it. It's like <laughs> it's very well conceived in that way. Oh man, gosh, this is a this sounds like something I should check out. Then definitely, you, you, Pete, like you're a busy guy, but do you have five minutes? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the amount of time. <laughs> The aforementioned five minutes. I'll, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go do it now. I'll be right back. Oh man, well that's cool. So bluey, it, it, excellent. It's it's the weirdest thing in certain ways, right? It's like the concept is so simple. The episodes are so short. Mm-hmm. Um, and it how is how much so of it amazing. Is there? Well how crafted. many episodes are there? Are there a lot? Now I think there's a but. I think I think we're in the third season now. Okay. And each ep- each each season has what twenty some odd. Yeah, no, they're, they're they, all, they all they all kind of blend together. Like again, like you know, they they, they kind of get binged. <laughs> like they're on autoplay, right? And so right, like right. I can't say that I pay attention to all of it because certainly it is there to entertain the children. Yeah. Um, it does not demand all full attention, but when you do give it its full attention, it uh, it rewards you. Very cool. Very cool. All right, so Bluey. So we've heard about everything, everywhere, all at once for the adults. Hey, you got it right this time. 
Yeah, there we go. I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. I'm learning. I'm <laughs> trying to return to the land of the living after the <laughs> profound exhaustion of having a newborn and uh, when you have a toddler. And we've heard about Bluey. And Mark, did you want to talk about Encanto or you meant that more for the future? I think that's worth kind of its own uh, discussion yeah. later. Cool. Um, and so, that so movie's I guess pretty great. I'll toss something on the fire. I'll start with something that deserves more discussion, which is unbeknownst to perhaps a lot of the people listening to the podcast, uh, maybe we've mentioned it to a few people, Jordan Stokes and I have been back channeling on a few things that we might, you know, when there's a chance to throw out another premium podcast or something along those lines, like we did for Thor Love and Thunder, we might podcast about. And one of them is the Canadian, uh, I, what should I call it? Like a uh, comedy of wit letter, Kenny. <laughs> um, and uh, which uh, just to, to give you guys, bring you guys in the loop on it. I'm not going to talk about letter Kenny too much now because it deserves its own episode. Cause it's a very weird show in a lot of ways. Uh, this is a, a creator and a creative team. I think Jared Kiso is the sort of front man for it, but it's a, comedy that takes place in rural Ontario, Canada, that was produced for like local Canadian television and or local Canadian streaming services. I'm not sure. It calls itself a Crave TV original. I believe it might have had YouTube videos at some point in the, in the beginning and is now a uh, I mean, it's ostensibly a sitcom that has run for for a bunch of seasons now. Uh, but I, I might want to talk about Letterkenny now. Uh, it's it's about a bunch of people who live in the country who fight and and drink and uh, get in banter with each other. But it's very formal and mannered. Uh, I think Jordan described it as similar to the Warriors, uh, and it has a very specific performance that it is doing that is worth its own episode to talk about. But what I want to talk about is something I'm really grateful for is the Letterkenny spinoff show called Shorzy which I would not have been able to see if not for the fact that I subscribed to Hulu in order to watch the Predator movie Prey, <laughs> right? Uh, you, you guys watch Prey, right? I'm also thankful for, I'm thankful for Prey. Prey was great this year. Prey was yeah, the movie was movie. tremendous. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And so because of Prey, I subscribed to Hulu, and all I've really done on Hulu since has watched Letterkenny and Shorzy. Uh, it, it is I, because I turn it on when I'm like, when I'm trying to get the baby to go to sleep and I put something on that I have my headphones on that I can like listen to, or I put my phone, I prop my phone up in a corner and uh, and I walk the baby around and I can sort of glance at it from time to time. But something that's very verbal goes well with it. Although Shorzy is more visual and I am I'm glad I got a chance to like sit down and really watch it. I think it's only like six episodes, but the gist of this show, and it's a bit of a journey just to get to the idea of what the premise is, which is almost certainly part of why it is not that popular <laughs> um yeah and it, it has popped up in most conversations i've been involved in uh with with random strangers about what were the good shows that nobody watched that came out this year um so shorzy is a character in letter kenny in the sitcom about rural canada he is played by the main guy of the show the uh, jerry kiso guy and, but in order to avoid creating confusion between the actual lead character he plays and Shorzy, Shorzy only appears while in the bathroom taking a dump. Uh, and uh, although there is one scene where he is shown from the back while showering and doing a handstand, but all he does is just hurl long, long strings of insults at people. Really, really complicated, specific uh, sorts of insults. while while he's taking a dump. 
while he's taking a dump, usually during the period breaks of a hockey game that's going poorly. He's a hockey player. So he's a hockey player, and two of the main characters in Letterkenny are also hockey players, and it usually is him insulting them in turn. He'll insult one of them. They'll respond. He'll insult the other one. They'll respond. He'll insult the first one again. They'll respond. It has the formality of it that that we'll talk about when we get into Letterkenny more detail. But for whatever reason, they made a spinoff show just about this guy whose most famous line is like, you know, Hey, Riley, tell your mom to, you know, recharge the visas that she gave me so that I can uh, get myself some more uh, popcorn or something. I don't know. It's it's I, mean, I can't do it. I, I can't I can't I can't think of ones that aren't dirty to say on the air um, to, to get it all out there. But it's all this like, hey, Jonesy, hey, Riley, do this, do that. And he's all taking a poop and talking about having sex with their moms. And uh, and they made it into a show. And it's like a poignant, painful kind of beautiful show sort of but also funny and absurd and farcical and but it also has really cool music and some cool like choreography and the concept behind the show is that he leaves the old show he leaves letter kenny the should the, the town out of rural canada and he's he's an aging you know semi-pro amateur hockey player playing in canadian senior hockey which is something that used to be super popular sport uh, you know, everybody would go see, you know, you think everybody could intuitively understand what junior hockey is because you're it's younger kids who are growing up and then they might potentially go on to play professional hockey or not. Senior hockey is they didn't go anywhere else, right? Like, mm-hmm. and they keep, and they just keep playing. Right. And so your team's junior senior hockey team might go travel and play another, your, another town's senior hockey team. And, and Shorzy is getting up there in years and is just kind of sick of, of, uh, well, sick of losing. And the concept of the show is he, he moves to Sudbury, which is one of the larger towns in, in northern Ontario. And he tells and he's playing there. and The team's terrible. And he tells the team owner that he doesn't want to lose ever again and, and that he has a plan to never lose ever again. And uh, the owner doesn't really believe him, but they make a pact that if they don't if they don't lose again through the end of the season, which is, I think maybe like four or five games, uh, they won't shut the team down. They won't fold the team. And so it's about Shorzy's efforts to not have this hockey team get shut down, which is really played much less in a sort of like, you know, this, this, the Dean is going to shut down the frats kind of vibe and much more of a, like, you're going to die kind of vibe, right? Like the things that you hold onto in your life are going to go away. Like you're going to fold. It's going to be over, right? Like it's going to, that sort of real weight to it sometimes. And, uh, and what he does is he recruits a few ringers that live in his house and a bunch of really tough as nails, native Americans or natives as they, as they call them in the show. Uh, and the idea is that they have like a few good players who are really good at playing hockey and a few really, really tough natives who will beat anybody else up. And yeah. that if they do that's this all you need. and that's all you need, they can beat the other terrible teams in their terrible hockey league. Right. In their in their uh, in their terrible hockey league. And it just it has this pathos. It has this like there's a weird I'm not afraid of spoiling it because I don't think I think like nobody's watching this thing and I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but I will spoil one thing, which is that there is this really compelling episode to episode jump that happens. There's like a place where one episode drops off and another episode begins, which is one of my favorite times that I've ever seen a show end one episode and begin the next episode, because the concept of what's happening is that the ringers 
have not showed up to the game. They've been out drinking. They weren't paying attention. They're late, right? This is like the second game, right? So like they won the first game and it was a big triumph. This is the second game and the ringers haven't shown up. So they're going to lose because none of the people who are there are good at playing hockey. Uh, And so what Shorzy decides to do is like get the other team disqualified. And he's going to get the other team disqualified by insulting them to their face to the degree that they feel obligated to fight him. So that they all fight him. (laughs) And with the idea that like, yes, he's an instigator. Everybody knows he's an instigator. Everybody knows he has an attitude problem. If they all fight him at the same time, it'll be really hard for anyone to blame him. Because it's like, look, it's like 10 guys. They all just jumped him and beat beat him up. (laughs) And the hope isn't necessarily that they'll get disqualified and he'll win. It's that the game will get postponed or canceled, right? And this is like, this is the stakes that the show is playing with. Because it's really digging into the technicality of like, how do you never lose a hockey game again? And one of them is like, well, you (laughs) prevent the game from happening. (laughs) You know, like, like you start a big fight before the game starts so that the game gets canceled and everybody has to go home. Everybody's mad and pissed off, but you have lost and and the end of the one episode is him like going out on the ice and taunting the other team and and the sort of the fight starting and the beginning of the episode of the next episode is this like super intense uh slow motion of the fight which has been brought backstage has been brought back into the hallways it's it's spilled out into the hallways (laughs) of the building uh and and it sort of is played almost like it's shot like it's slow motion saving private ryan where it's like from the perspective of shorzy as he has been beaten up and has gotten up and is like coming around the corner to like charge into the fight in slow motion and all sorts of chaos of different people fighting each other is happening around him and it's all played to the uh to the like disco queen song "Born to Be Alive" by Patrick Hernandez. Do you know that song "Born to Be Alive"? <laughs> and it's like weighty and intense. And then like it has all sorts of drama. Like the ringers show up and they come in and start beating up people out of nowhere. You know, there's like slow mm. motions of one character trying to punch someone else, but then punching someone who really deserved it. And 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 it's like uh, there's just it's it's very artful fight sequence. But it happens at the beginning of an episode. Where I can't imagine if you just sort of jumped in and you hadn't been binging it. What is that like? Right. Um, The idea that they didn't put that scene at the end of the previous episode uh, really charged me up that the show was kind of artistically putting together something that was interesting. Um, So I I don't know. I really like the show Shorzy. It has a lot going for it. There's a whole arc about a young um, native guy who's the coach of the team because the other coach is a jerk and 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 uh, and and is fired who sort of like has his kind of sexual awakening sort of <laughs> while he's also trying to find his uh his his footing as a respected person in this uh in this world of, of like sort of beat up older hockey players and uh and there's this whole plot with like all the women who run the hockey teams having a council like it's like all the hockey teams in this league are all run by lesbian women who are all like have partners with their assistant coaches and they have like councils <laughs> with them, and they talk about all the men on their team and how what problems they are um it's it's a very it has a lot of weird surreal stuff going on, um, but anyway, I really liked Shorzy. I thought it was a really good show. I thought it was one of my favorite kind of hidden gems of the year. Uh, and while I do enjoy Letterkenny, I would want to dig into more like the things that I like about it, things that I don't like about it. And I think one of the things that I would really say about Shorzy is also like I don't make any claim that the show is admirable. 
Um, and I think that it's a show that really tries to live in the space of people not being admirable. Like this is a show that talks about a lot of things that are like very problematic. And I don't think it's doing it from a bad place. But I would not vouch for any of its particular opinions. There's a whole plot about being in like um, like mixed race foster homes and like where all these people come from and how they were all raised and who they were adopted by and like their sort of ethnic identity as it relates to like who their foster parents are versus like how they're perceived by the people around them and what that does to their relationships with other people. Like yeah, there's a lot that goes on in this show that I would not, I would be afraid to touch with a 10 foot pole and the show definitely takes it on, but it takes it on from the standpoint of a very rough sort of vibe. And I think it's trying to tell stories about very rough people like people who do not engage with these topics with like a, you know, bourgeois sentimentality, right. Or like a fear they're sort of like, what am I, how am I going to say the right thing or the wrong thing? Right. It's um, it feels drawn from experience in that respect. Uh, but, uh, but if you want to critique it, I think it, it, it puts out a big fat target uh, and says, critique me. Right. If you want to uh, more like punch me in the face, but, uh, but I like Shorzy a lot. I like that show a lot. And I wanted to recommend it. I suppose to anybody who has uh who has Hulu. I think that's the only way, unless you have Crave TV or some sort of Canadian streaming service where you can also watch it. Uh, I don't even know if Crave TV exists anymore. Um, but yeah. I, just, I would just comment that uh, I feel like it's exceedingly rare to see hockey on a television show. A, because yeah. you know hockey is uh, you know not not as popular as the other major sports in uh, in North America, and, and B also like it's kind of being like you know logistically difficult and expensive. <laughs> yes, yes. Stuff on, uh, on ice, right? <laughs> One show I did not mention that I've also been watching is the Mighty Ducks Game Changers, uh, which is the reboot for a sitcom. Right, right. Ducks. Speaking of yeah, television that it bothers to put hockey on the uh, on the screen, yeah, yeah. And it had Emilio Estevez, and then he he did the Roseanne Barr thing where he. he Became oh, too hot for Disney did he to really? Oh, is that what happened? I thought he just oh, was too big for the oh. second season of the show. I didn't realize that he had done something. He's not. He is not too big. For yeah. <laughs> Hold on a second. Oh, what did he do? Did he like? Do we really he, need to he, know he, what he did? No, maybe not. Yeah, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> well, if it's funny, tell us if it's funny, man. If it's not funny, don't tell us. Um, but yeah, it, he did, Timothy Oliphant is the main is the male lead on the second season of the Mighty Ducks Game Changers. I enjoyed the first season. My wife is a big Mighty Ducks fan, like for back in the day. Like she loved those movies. Oh yeah, yeah. And so quack. Um, yeah, flying yeah, quack, 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 quack. Yeah. You know, Keenan Thompson. He's never going to amount to anything, right? <laughs> uh, the the inventor of the knuckle puck who has gone on to be like the the lar- the most stolid mainstay of. Uh, of, of of multimedia comedy of the past 20 years, uh, Keenan Thompson. Right, but, um, right. But yes, but we've been watching this show and it's kind of a light show. We watch at lunch sometimes. And nice. Uh, the first season was good. And the second season is meandering a little bit. We're watching it as it comes to a close. I don't recommend it in the same way I recommend Shorzy. It is the clearly the second best hockey show that I watch um, or that I watched dedicated to hockey in the recent past. Um, so another observation that I have is that I feel like the the one through line going at cutting across all of our picks that we're thankful for is the level of artistry that each of these yeah. projects has. Yeah, yeah, right. People who um, care, right? People who give. It yeah, up. yeah, and and like we, I think we talk a lot about in this podcast about the importance of the visual aspect of all all of this media, typical media that we consume, right? Uh, TV and movies and. It's um it, it's it really interesting thing to talk about, right? Of course, you know, we're using purely just words and our and our voices um to convey visual, not just beauty, but um 
you know, what you said, like, you know, people care, the thoughtfulness that goes into these things. Um, I, I, that's something I'm thankful for, actually, is the opportunity to just like to be able to uh, take that challenge on and also find uh, funny and creative people like you guys to, to, to do that with. So thank you. Welcome. Thank you, man. Really oh, appreciate you, it. Mark. Super kind of you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. I think we spent so much time thinking and talking with each other about silly things, right? Like things that are not that do not have effort or thought put into them or are like horrible accidents or mistakes or uh, or just like people being really callous or uncaring or indifferent to the consequences of their actions or their effects on other people. Even something as simple as like the visual composition of a piece of art that like, oh, this this is somebody who cared about this. That I don't know. I feel it sometimes is very spiritually fueling um, to watch something like that, where you're like this artist yeah. really put this together for a reason and really cared about it. And also it's something that it. I can engage it, engage with my friends with it, because the idea that like all this stuff is only really appreciated on an individual level is, of course, wrong. You know, this whole I mean, we're not the only podcast guys hate to break it to you that uh that had this idea that we were going to get a bunch of people together to talk about TV and movies. <laughs> it turns out over the past, you know, 14 <laughs> years, it's become quite a bit more of a popular thing to do. Um, but, uh, but <laughs> which is, I just chuckle whenever I think about how much like the rest of the world did what we did and, and like sort of sped past us on our little uh, ox cart. Yeah, as did, we kind did it of, way better. I don't know if they did it, but we, we've, <laughs> we've really stuck to our guns, right? We still have never really edited these things. But yeah. We, oh, you know, yeah. We're, we we're make rather do we're definitely so not learning. Without, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think there's something to be proud of. There. <laughs> is there a saying in Bluey about old old dogs not learning new tricks? I don't know. Yeah, there absolutely is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh man. Well, is there, is there anything one else? Bluey is yep. one of those cartoon universes where like there are, there are no people, but there's like every species of animal. Right, they're they're not. It's not just an all dog world, right? There are other types of animals. Well, only dogs are sentient and speak. Only Wild dogs animals, are, yeah. Okay, so it's different than like let's say Peppa Pig, where there's like the pig family, but then there are other types of animals, and they all live in peace and harmony. It's like more of a Zootopia. Yeah, and it's not like Dragon Ball Z, where like most of the people are people, but the president of the world is a dog for some reason that can talk. So the president <laughs> of the world is a dog that can talk and wears suits. Yeah. And there's no explanation as to why that I just. Nope. (laughs) Okay. No, no, I don't mean to be aggressive about it. You can go down that line. Corin the cat is a cat who can talk, but it's more like, oh, that's a cat. And it's also is a sort of spiritualist who is kind of a weird and magical creature. You would kind of expect there to be some sort of like, oh, nobody knows about the magical cat that can talk that lives in the mountains. But no, the president is just a dog. Uh is he a good does he seem to like make wise decisions in times of uh of uh crisis i feel like the levers of policy that the president of the world the dragon ball z has <laughs> in a dragon to ball z scenario are like perceived by the public as 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 not really what he's responsible for but also like the things that actually happen in the world of dragon ball z that the public witnesses are so far beyond the capabilities of any politician to address <laughs> like it must be really hard to be a politician in the dragon ball z world because you have to be like <laughs> my opponent let aliens come down and kill half the population and blow up the world and we're only back here because of some you know five people who picked up all the dragon balls and made a wish to bring us all back to life well my, my opponent, yeah, 
I designed the machine that has a hundred times gravity to allow Goku to train. <laughs> oh, you said you designed that machine. We all knew Dr. Briefs did that machine, and you only provided the funding for the uh, immediate research. You know what? We, we provided <laughs> crucial grants. <laughs> This guy's like, I built some train gravity machine to be devised. You can take you can Listen. take the train to the crater if you want. It's right outside Listen. of town. <laughs> Listen, guys, a, a power level of nine thousand used to mean something, but inflation is running rampant, <laughs> and the president is destroying problem. destroying this country. <laughs> Look, if there's one person to blame for the problems of the world, the Dragon Ball Z, it's clearly Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Not super perfect cell or Majin <laughs> Buu or like Frieza, but my opponents who I don't like personally because we have we oppose each other as our jobs all the time. Uh, yes, no, it's um, <laughs> the things that people get angry about. Um, OK, so uh, unless anyone else has any other things to be thankful for, I could throw one more on the pile. But does anyone want to add any more duck into our turduck in here? Take us home, Pete. Okay, so last thing I will say is that I haven't really talked about this. To add to your notion that you've raised, Mark, about people who uh, put effort into the visual composition of visual media, which doesn't always happen. And by effort, I don't just mean like time and energy, but you know, and, and I don't want to insult. I don't. I don't want to insult the other shows to that extent. Let me just say the people who seem to have put something inspired that maybe they've lucked into, maybe the time to be able to do it this caused them to be able to luck into it. I think a lot of shows are really impressive visually these days, but there's certain things we see that really make an impression on us because of the the craft and the art of it and the way they put it together. I also want to give a shout out to the people who, when they try to do this sort of thing, what they make is just awful. They just they make something terrible. They make something amateurish and and terrible. But they keep at it for a long time, and eventually it gets better. And I and I want to just be grateful in particular to one particular writer who wrote a series of books that I plowed through while you know biting my nails, awaiting the birth of my second child. Uh, which is Jim Butcher's Dresden Files Paranormal Detective Stories, which I read like 18 books of uh, in the months leading up to my my baby being born. And this, I don't think I've talked about them on the podcast. Maybe I have a little bit. I've mentioned them here and there. But you guys know the this, this sort of story about how these books came about? Um, because I think it's it's kind of hilarious. Uh, it was made into a TV show. I don't think the TV show is seen as either faithful or good. Uh, there's the next one's coming around soon. He has a very aggressive plan to keep coming out with these things. Uh, they all take place in Chicago for the most part, where it's like a wizard who lives in a basement and uses magical spells to solve crimes. So how um, how like Constantine is it? Is is it like American Constantine? Um, I would say that it is. It is somewhat. It's it's similar in certain ways. Uh, it's definitely, he's like, he's like a grizzled guy who's like good at paranormal stuff. He's like a hard boiled detective, but, but with, with spells. Well, he is a full on wizard is kind of part of it. A like full he, on he, wizard. He belongs to a wizard council, which he has like bureaucratic problems with the wizard council. He has like a wizard mentor. He like wears long cloaks. He has a duster that he wears. So he's not technically wearing like a robe, but he does carry a staff and he does sort of care about wizard accoutrement. So I would say that like, and he's not quite as, has um as kind of dreary about it. And he's also not really that hard boiled about it. Uh, he also, the, the books also stray off the concept of him investigating crimes quite a bit, but I would say that it is, it is not nearly as, 
um, I don't want to say nihilistic, but as dark as uh, Hellblazer or Constantine. Um, and and there's a lot more about like sort of the fairy folk uh, and like making deals with the fairy folk and like nego- like there's a whole thing where he has um, one of his informants is a group of, of uh, fairies that live out over the lake and he bribes them by by leaving out a pizza and saying and, and car and drawing a circle in the ground and saying one of their true names and sort of they show up and they all eat the pizza and then they help provide him with information on like cases. So in certain ways, it's kind of whimsical and silly. And then in other ways, it feels kind of hard boiled, I guess. Um, but it's definitely in the same it's playing in the same general ballpark big time as Constantine um, in that it like has you know, mystical creatures, mythological creatures, creatures out of like comic books, sort of stuff like that. Um, it, it's maybe a bit more, it's not more religious, more positive. I don't know. It's tough to say. You read both of them and you let me know because uh, I've, I've, I've seen both of them. Um, but I would say they feel very, I don't think anybody who's a big fan of Hellblazer or Constantine would look at the Dresden Files and say, yes, I like that. That's exactly what I'm looking for. I think they would probably point out all the ways in which what they have read uh, or watched is better and which they want. And I think most of it would involve being like hard-edged, hard-boiled, you know, grizzled, right, um, more noir. Whereas it, I think the Dresden file stuff is like a little bit lighter hearted. The character relationships matter a little bit more. It's maybe a little more romantic. Um, he has like girlfriends and like um, there's a little bit more about like raising children in it. Uh, and and there's it's a little bit it buys a little bit more into the whole sort of D&D vibe of wizards and wizardry. Um, but I mean, I guess what I'm getting away from the main point, which was I wanted to say that the first three books, I believe, were done as like a writing project for a writing class. And I think the the initially the writer sat down to write it and did some the thing he wanted to do, which was like sort of complicated with a lot of world building and and kind of uh, um, the teacher really bashed him for it and, and said it was bad. And this is how I, I from what I've read, how I understand how it worked. And he set out to write the most formulaic thing he possibly could. Like he set out to write a work that he sort of had contempt for that would follow all the formulas that get things published according to this teacher and according to like the stock characters. Right. So there's like so as a result, the first book is like really bad. Right. Like there's uh there's like a sexy Latina who's like shows up with mysterious, you know, mysterious case. And and she sort of talked about that way in a way that's kind of uncomfortable. And there's like sexy vampires and and uh, and, and there's like, you know, people are exploding and lots of blood and gore all over the place. Um, and, and it's also just feels very kind of luridly and kind of imprecisely written. Um there's like, you know, the cops are all stereotypes and stuff. And, and and I think that, you know, you read the first book and it's like, OK, this feels very amateurish and like pretty fan fictiony. Um, I mean, of course, it's a little earlier than some of the stuff that uh, you would think of as fan fictiony for it. But then over time, it gradually gets better. And because it did sell, because it was what he said it was going to be. right? it was like the the stuff that the formulaic stuff that that was looking to sell. Right. Because it sold to some degree. They got he got to keep doing it. And then over time, it gets much more involved. And there's kind of longer arcs and kind of more relationships. And and it gets better. I'm not saying it's my favorite books ever, but like 
I do. There are it was enjoyable, good light read to sort of beach reading if I went to the beach, which I don't generally do, which I didn't really give myself permission to do for many years. Um, and, and I am grateful. I guess I'm thankful for for beach reading being a thing that exists. You know, there are books that you don't have to like really super dig into that you can kind of breeze through and page turn like thrillers and crime stories and wizard books. Um that aren't like super intense, serious wizard books. Um, but I'm also thankful for this one. It's endearing. Uh, the characters are nice. Uh, I mean, they get into a lot of trouble, but uh, but they try to get out of it. Um, do you guys any read? Do you guys do any beach reading? Any like reading of kind of books that aren't uh, particularly serious or particularly like uh, demanding, just to kind of you know um, enjoy reading? I feel like when we went to school, it kind of beat us, it beat that out of me a little bit. Yeah, I I haven't done that. We've talked about I this really before. Should. The Dragon Bookmark episode, I think, was the one where we talked about this phenomenon. But yeah, you know what? I I was actually on a beach vacation this year, and I wanted to pick up some beach reading. And after a little research, I picked up a novel called Reprieve. Mm-hmm. So Reprieve is a, a fairly recent novel published October 2021. So it was just in paperback over the summer. And it's like a horror novel. It's it's which is funny because you say horror novel and it's I immediately feel like I need to compare it to Stephen King. It's not exactly like Stephen King because there's no supernatural elements. It's about a a haunted house, a, a but a haunted house attraction. So an infamous haunted house attraction where like you you go into the house and there's a there's a standing challenge with a, a enormous cash prize. I think it's supposed to be like fifty thousand dollars if you can make it to the end of the haunted house. But inside the haunted house, like the the you know whatever the ghouls or ghosts or wh- whatever horrors lie within each of the six cells are going to touch you and going to mess with you and going to you know who knows what what's going to happen. And so it's about like this group that and and, and you have to go in with a group and work together to get through this. Um, but then it's it's one of these things where it's like uh, it's it's uh, jumps backwards and forwards through time. So it's not only tells what what goes on inside the haunted attraction. But but sort of like the background of each of the four members of the team and like who they are and like what brought them there and like what this means to them and why they need the money. And it, it's one of these things where like the deeper they get into the house, the more intense it becomes and the, the, the more, and the, you know, it's interesting. You should, you should definitely check it out. It, it was, um, I, I think it qualifies as beach reading, but it, it definitely is like, you know, it, it 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 it's not um super light and breezy because it is sort of like you know this sort of grisly, but um in a fun way. You know, Matt Rather shouldn't read is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Matt Rather will be back next week, no doubt, to steer this ship back towards its uh its proper waters. But in the meantime, thanks for swirling around in these eddies and, and rapids with me, boys. Really appreciate it and uh, appreciate you, listener. And please, if if anything we've talked about sparks a desire to discuss or if you want to share what you're thankful for or your beach reading hits with us, please uh, join us at our Discord. You can find the link on our website. And uh, we, we'd love to have you join the community. And um, I don't want to call it the community. That's so freaking pretentious. We just like to say hi. It's not that big of a group of people. Don't worry about it. Don't be intimidated. It's fine. We're not going to try to sell you NFTs. If you no, we don't sell you. That's not what we do. We nope. don't have the money. <laughs> Look, this is not a this is not like a really uh, ritzy organization. 
You know, we don't we're not we're not hiding in some mansion in the Bahamas. We're all just trying to raise our families or start them or or wherever in various. We're going to we're going to con you in the old fashioned way by selling you various tonics. Yes, exactly. We're mostly a tincture. <laughs> we're a tincture company that masquerades as a podcast company. Uh, yes. <laughs> You'll have Balinky's magical cure. What is it? The wondrous cure all. It's a. Uh, the uh, the the Lee e, Lee Elixir is my favorite one, right? Is uh, it's the um, the the what's that word that they have in um, what's the what's the what's the bottle that the girl gets in the Chronicles of Narnia? What is the word that she gets? That's a book Port- series. I, I I managed to completely avoid that one. Shocker on that one, I think. Should uh, I should I read? They? Are they good? Are they good no, books? Okay. No, the Narnia I'm, Narnia books are for children. That's, okay. that's the that's the important thing to remember about the Narnia books is that they are so almost too- all for children. Only really one of them is like punches above its weight as a as okay. a book. In so my there, opinion, there anyway. may have been a time when it would have been fun to pick up the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but that time was like maybe the early nineties. Yes, if you feel the desire to pick up the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I would strongly recommend picking up the Neverending Story because that's a legit great book. Okay, and it has a similar it has the similar big lion energy. Uh, it might even have a giant lion on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> a luck dragon. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. So on that note, I think I will. we will leave you for another week of gratitude. And please, if you get out there uh, on the various planes and trains and automobiles, be safe uh, in every respect because we want you to be around for the next episode like we will because we're all going to do this again and again and have fun and be grateful and watch Bluey. Uh, <laughs> so be- until then, visit on the- us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. Pete, little little aside, are you familiar with the movie uh, Rookie of the Year? Oh yeah, for sure. Horrible I was just arm re- injury. Yeah. I was just right where where he gets an arm injury, but he becomes a major league pitcher. And I was just rewatching that with my kid. And if you recall, the climax of the movie is he loses the magical ability and he has to sort of bluff his way through the final three outs of the divisional series. Yes. Um, and it it only like at the time I thought that this was like a tra- a, a really dramatic and sort of clever way to end the movie. And I, why did they not just put in another pitcher? <laughs> like it's a perfectly legitimate reason. He falls down. He and he re-enters his arm. He can no longer pitch. Why right. did he not simply ask the manager to take him out? What is the what is the meaning? What is the meaning of the word why in your question, Matt? <laughs> like like why did the manager not make that decision in the world of the movie? Why did that not happen in the context of the movie? Like why would the rookie of the year himself, why would it be bad for his character development? Or like is there a better version of rookie of the year where he does get taken out and then he gets replaced and he goes to rehab? Um, why do they not replace him? I guess it, it raises the question of like, where's the attention to detail, right? Because you're, we're sort of saying it breaks the immersion. You know what it actually says, Matt? Here's what it actually says. <laughs> what it actually says is that the number of relief pitchers that your average, that your major league baseball teams have now is so much greater than the number of relief pitchers Back in the that they day, had on they, staff. They had, it was a regular nine inning game and they already used up their entire staff. This kid is the last one. 
Yeah, yeah, they yeah. For, no, they forfeit the game if they pull him out. This is 1993. This is like Greg Maddox has to go out there and pitch 10, man. It's, uh... <laughs> sure, I'll buy it. Problem <laughs> I'll buy solved. That. I'll buy that for a dollar.